Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyerup904.com. Moments like this, these last two football games, being able to do what we've done, energize a city, right? Energize a, a, a town, energize fans, uh, is only going to make us better moving forward. And that's the part that I'm excited about. No one, no one thought we should be here, and we just kept believing. And it was really cool, really cool to be a part of. And, and it was special. And like I said, just the beginning. You know, I, I go back to April, and I, I told the team in April, I said, expect to play playoff games on the road in Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City. You know, I think that was this this year, obviously, was huge for, for this organization, for our city, for just our franchise, you know, moving forward. And, and it kind of sets the bar of, of, of who, who we're going to be and, and what we're going to do moving forward. And and that's the mindset and, the, and we won't settle for less than that and this this won't be this won't be the last you guys hear of us so we'll be back this boy got a hit 1010xl 92.5 fm presents jaguars today with your host mike dempsey tony smith and e to the t all right, a little bonus today, E.T. We got John Shipley in. I don't know if that means he doesn't qualify as a host. He's family. <laughs> He's a guest. He is what he is. Uh, and we're glad to have him here from Jaguar Report, an offshoot of Sports Illustrated. Ship, good morning. How are you? Yeah, doing good. That was as good of an intro as I can get. All right. Man, that well, was perfect. You, you got mentioned, and, yeah. and we're all good. E.T., you, you're styling in there. What do you got on the hat? I- oh, it's an orange. It's my buddy's brand, Lafave. It's an orange. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's a Florida thing, you know. I, I wasn't sure thing. if it was like an orange bowl thing or, or whatever. I just kind of walked past you and saw some kind of orange. I heard Hicken talking about it this morning. No razzle-dazzle. I did not think it was a gator hat even from this distance. So, I don't know what Buddy was talking about. I know. I know you better <laughs> than that. Come on, these guys. These guys are new to you, E.T. Let's not forget. They've only worked with you for several months. Not even point. a year. Right, you know, they're always going to be the kids in the yeah. uh, in the equation. Tony. Although ET is the guy that you know, once we get into baseball season, he'll come in and ten different teams. He will do that. I will. When it comes to baseball, yeah. there's no question about that. He, my man's a Padres, Blue Jays, <laughs> Orioles. I've seen them all. They all represent. Uh, Ship has life uh, since the end of the playoff run for the Jacksonville Jaguars for you. No, it's it's felt good to you know be able to step back, take a breather, reset a little bit. I was telling you, this is by far the longest Jaguar season I've covered because the first time they've, you know. Hey, they went into the postseason exactly. and won a game, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, just from off-season workouts to playoffs, you know, it, it was a grind, you know. And I always think, you know, if it's a grind for, you know, people covering the team, people to talk about daily, just imagine what it is, <laughs> like, you know, for them. Well, particularly for the rookies, yeah. right? The rookies who spend several months preparing to impress at the scouting combine and in their pro day and on and on, and then they hit the ground running with mini camps right away. At least, you know, if you're a veteran player, been in the league, even if only for a year, guys like Devin Lloyd and, and Trayvon Walker probably decompressing pretty hard right about now. And then you had the Hall of Fame game, so you started games a little Good bit point. earlier, and you go a couple weeks into the postseason. Look, we're not going to turn down 
uh, a postseason run any year. But I'm sure for those guys, a good chance to catch your breath right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, that first offseason, in my opinion, that a player gets is always one of the most important ones. I think that's one of the ones where you kind of really learn how to be a professional, you know, learn how to balance life you know outside of football being able like you said to kind of detach yourself for a little bit because once the season gets going it doesn't stop going and like you said r- rookies it's literally non-stop and that's something i learned pretty quickly you know covering the draft i mean seeing like from the day these guys get into jacksonville like they're working and that's you know straight from a draft process where they had no idea who they were playing for then 48 hours later you know they're being handed a playbook and being said let's go yeah Learn this and there's there's something to you know, that NFL schedule, right? And you can be told about it a thousand times. And we know these guys from the moment that they get to high school really are thinking NFL, NFL, NFL. That's the goal, right? It's to get there. So they may be talking to guys that they know that have done that and asking them, hey, what's going on? What's this process actually going to be like? What's it going to – doesn't matter how many times you get told that this is what it's going to be like, especially your rookie year. Until you can get through that first year and take a breath and say, okay, now I know what I have to do to prepare just from a time, physical, mental standpoint to play a National Football League season. Until you've done it, I don't think that you can really be prepared for what it's going to take. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think this even kind of goes for some of the second-year guys, you know, some of the guys who were as rookies under Urban Meyer and his staff. I mean, they didn't really know, you know how to prepare like professionals. Obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Tyson Campbell played most of their rookie seasons, mm-hmm. but – Outside of that experience, you know, they didn't get kind of the leadership from the coaching staff to be able to know, okay, this is how you prepare during the season, how you prepare during the offseason. So, I mean, this is really their first offseason, too, under kind of a coaching staff that I guess more or less knows what they're doing. Yeah, um, and we saw Trevor Lawrence take a massive leap from year one to year two, and a lot of guys are going to do that regardless of the circumstances. We understand circumstances improved greatly for him. So, we'll talk about which guys you think will – uh, show out better in 2023. Let's take advantage. We've got John Shipley here for the entire show uh, today, of course, from Sports Illustrated. You know him. You'll love him. He's out there on social media. He covers your team on a daily basis, and uh, he's got his own set of opinions on what the Jags are going to need to do, what they can accomplish this offseason. So if you want to be a part of it today, 641-1010 on the phone lines. We'll get you on board. Of course, uh, the same number works or the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures, or hit any of us up today. And it doesn't have to be question of the day related, although I will pass along uh, today's question of the day. We included a link to the Pro Football Focus Top 50 Free Agents of 2023, asking you who's the highest-ranked player on that list that you think the Jags will be able to sign this year who didn't play for the team in 2022. That is, if you think they'll sign any of those guys on that list. Your answer may be none, and that's fine, too. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter today, at MD, underscore 1010XL, at 1010XL, Fat Tony, at underscore John, underscore Shipley, and at IME2, the T. Come on, somebody. And, uh, look, I, I put out yesterday that Ship was coming on the show and it said, if you've got any specific questions for John, uh, pass them along to me, and I'll be happy to pass them along on the air. we got a good number of those in, so we'll delve into it as well. Uh, John, just your – as you know, the season wraps up here, and we haven't had a ton of time to reflect on it, but do you feel like the Jags have put themselves in a different stratosphere of team going into 2023? I think a lot of us, probably most people are going to pick them to win the division, but, you know, they they finished in the Final Four, 
of the AFC. Are you comfortable saying they're one of the four best teams in the AFC heading into 2023 as things stand right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the top three teams, Kansas City, obviously, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. And after them, you're kind of, you know, looking at who else. I think the Jaguars have proven that they're better than the Chargers. They beat them on two separate occasions, you know, despite the context or anything. That's two wins in one season against, you know, Justin Herbert, Brandon Staley. I would take the Jaguars over any of the AFC East teams, obviously. I think over any of the other AFC South teams. So I think just heading into 2023 and projecting forward, I think the Jaguars, you know, have earned that distinction of being the fourth best team. Yeah, and it may AFC. not play out that way. And look, the Ravens, uh, they beat them as well, but they're going to be, you know, with uh, Lamar Jackson, they're a tough team to beat and, uh, you know, probably would have, you know, you look at the the record he had as a starter compared to Huntley, might have even finished with a better record than Jacksonville this year. Um, had uh, a pro bowl. Lamar stayed. Oh, well, I know <laughs> Huntley's respect a pro on bowler. his name. Yeah, I have. Did you go through? Have you looked at all the uh, the different activities they're doing at the Pro Bowl? No. Do they? I know they start today, right? There's a whole list of them, yeah. and it is honestly <laughs> pretty absurd. Some of the stuff that's going to be going on there. But we'll take a look at uh, which uh, Jaguar players are assigned. Uh, I'm fine with Trevor Lawrence doing like a throwing accuracy drill for one minute which is basically what I saw. I don't want any part of flag football, man, for for Trevor Lawrence or Jamal Agnew. Just don't don't want anything that can set them back physically in any way, shape, or form, uh, but that's me. Uh, we'll go through some of that a little bit later on. Of course, tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of the Jaguars signing Doug Peterson, so if you want to talk about that today, you're welcome to. Really, anything Jaguar-related is fair game and on the table here with John Shipley from Sports Illustrated's Jaguar Report. You got me, Mike Dempsey, Tony Smith, and E.T. We'll get your calls rolling starting next. You're listening to Jaguars today here on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Everything you need to know about the Jags. Jaguars today on 1010XL. All right, here we go with John Shipley of Jaguar Report. We'll take your calls all morning long. We'll talk with uh, Ship about his thoughts on the pending free agents for the Jags, uh, what guys they might be able to bring in from elsewhere, what the draft plan might be. We expect all the answers today, uh, Ship. So I hope you have the plan to completely make the Jaguars a 17-0 team in 2023. Handy, um, I did read a piece you wrote maybe a week or so ago, um, where you were projecting who might be back. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jawan Taylor, how much of a priority he might be for this team, and the likelihood of whether they're able to get something done or not? No, I, I think when you look at the Jawan Taylor situation, you know, obviously it makes sense in, you know, the big picture potential to let him walk considering you have walk a little. And I think that's led to a lot of people to – assume that maybe they won't make it a priority. I mean, I'm of the complete belief that it is one of the big priorities to try to figure something out with Jawan. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean something will happen, but I do think the Jaguars want something to happen. So, you know, whether it does or not, I mean, he's going to be 25 years old in week one. He started, you know, 68 of 68 games, former second-round pick, coming off the best year of his career. I think that's a guy you want you know, to keep around. You don't want to let hit free agency because – most of the time, the guys you're letting hit free agency are the guys that you know, you're okay with kind of missing. But with what with the situation they're in right now, over the cap, we understand they can get under the cap, but there's not. it's not like you could just wave a wand yeah. and perpetually be under the cap. You have to rearrange contracts, restructure deals, and that eventually catches up to you, right? So they want to keep themselves viable 
for a multi-year window of competitiveness. Um, do you think they'll be able to find that money? I, it may be a priority to them, but do you think they'll be able to make it work when they do have a guy like Walker Little who could conceivably step in and you'd still need a swing tackle, but you could probably find one a lot less expensively than uh, Juwan Taylor's going to cost. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why, you know, again, while I think it's something I want to get done, I'm still the belief that ultimately you, you see, think he'll be gone. Yeah, I see Juwan Taylor playing elsewhere. And I, I think he would have to take a big discount compared to what he's supposed to get on the open market. I mean, ESPN, you know, they came out with their top 50 free agents. And this obviously isn't the end all be all, but. When does ESPN ever rank a Jaguars and pending free agent, you know, highly? And Juwan was, you know, number 15th o- o- overall in that. I mean, I think there's a good reason for it. You know, all the signs point to him as a offensive tackle, likely to be one of the most sought-after guys this mm-hmm. offseason. So, while I think it's something they want to happen, I still think he ultimately becomes a free agent. Because, like you said, you can't just make the money appear. And it just makes the most sense with Walker Little, you know, kind of being there ready to go that you kind of roll with him. Yeah, I've thought for a few weeks that the Jaguars likely will have a number in mind with Jawan Taylor, and I wouldn't be surprised if that number is somewhere in the range of 11 or $12 million a year, that they'll make that offer to Jawan, and that the most likely scenario is he says, I want to see what's out there for me, yeah. right, from that point, and that the Jags are like, okay, go hear what's going to be offered to you if you want to come back around, the offer's on the table, right, that 11 $12 million, whatever that range is, but I don't think the Jags will go much north of that. Like, I think whatever number they offer is going to be the number for Jawan Taylor. And if he wants to go test the market, he's going to go test the market. And if he does, it certainly feels right now like he's likely going to find more money somewhere outside of Jacksonville than he will here. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of creates the ultimate question of, you know, people keep asking, is a hometown discount a real thing? You know, would people actually take less to play with Doug Peterson? I mean, you know, look at Jawan Taylor, you know, going into next season. Now, if he does end up, you know, staying with Jacksonville for less than what he would have gotten in the open market, which, like you said, you can imagine if he would actually hear out offers in March, it'd probably be higher than what the Jaguars would naturally be able to offer. But if he's able to take less, I mean, that kind of says it all for Doug Peterson and what they've kind of turned around inside the building. Would say a lot. It would also buck the trend of a guy getting the chance to make his first really big life-altering yeah. contract. I mean, you could argue that a, a high second-round pick is life-altering money. It is to normal people. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of the NFL, you know, get your, your big 20, 30-plus guaranteed million-dollar deal. This is maybe, who knows, maybe the one chance. Maybe he'll have multiple chances to do that if I'm Jawan Taylor. I'm at least listening to yeah. offers out there. All right, let's get to it with uh, John Shipley here on Jaguars today. Mike Dempsey, Tony Smith, and E.T. here with you as well. At 641-1010, we head to the phones for the first time this morning. Let's welcome Pete out on Butler Boulevard, somewhere thereabouts. What's up, Pete? How are you? Hi, guys. Um, I was, thanks for taking my call. Um, if you look at the size of, like, Miles Garrett or Joey Bosa or Aaron Donald, Trayvon Walker has almost the exact same size. So my question is, do you think there's going to be a bigger effort to get him playing along the defensive line much more than what I think we saw this past year where he can just be a little more disruptive? I think he had a good year, but not a great year. Certainly no one was saying, oh, he's a pro bowler. But um, do you think that's going to be a concerted effort for the defense? Thanks. You got it. Uh, How do you think they'll utilize him going forward? I mean, I think Trayvon is still going to be, you know, mostly an edge rusher. I think obviously – they maybe utilize them a bit more inside moving forward, but I don't think you're ever going to get to a point, at least not in the near future, where 
you see him as like a full-time interior player. And I'm still the belief that he can be a really good pass rusher off the edge. It's just, to me, it's as simple as, I know it might seem like kind of a small detail, but it's as simple as he's better in a three-point stance as a down lineman firing off the ball, like say a 4-3 defensive end, than he is as a, you know, stand-up outside linebacker. So I do think you see that more out of him next year. You know, less two-point stance, less playing a little bit off the ball going into coverage, and you see him play with his hand and dirt a bit more. But I don't think that means you necessarily see him on the edge less because I I think that's still where his future is. I mean, you look at the Jaguars' edge depth otherwise, and it's kind of, you know, Trayvon <laughs> and Josh Allen and then, you know, tumbleweeds fly through. Well, it seems like for years, I know it was this case for years, people were clamoring, let's play a 3-4 defense. We got the right personnel for a 3-4 defense. So they go with a 3-4 defense. They build their team with that concept in mind, and now everybody seems to be wanting to go back the other direction. What do you think is the best use of the resources that they currently have defensively? Yeah, no, it, it really is amazing because, like you said, it was for years under Todd Walsh. <laughs> Why are we running the 3-4? Yeah, we're begging anything. And I, I think people kind of realize now the difference between a 3-4 and a 4-3. And the Jaguars, you know, in the past played kind of different variation of the 4-3 as opposed to 3-4. You know, they would have a heavy pass rusher opposite the other defensive end instead of two speed rushers. Whereas in a 4-3, you can just have guys been their ears back and go. You know, like Nick Bosa, he isn't covering anybody all game. Neither is Joey right. Bosa. You know, in a 4-3, you can just let your guys kind of attack more. So I, I do think you maybe see that a little bit more out of Jacksonville next year because – I mean, at the end of the day, you're playing nickel more than anything else, and it's really about how you're asking your guys to line up. But even when they're in base, I think a 4-3 would make sense for a lot of the Jaguars guys. I, I don't think just Trayvon. I think I mean, Josh Allen, his best season came as a 4-3 defensive mm-hmm. end. And I know he has said in the past that he prefers outside linebacker, but I mean, Josh Allen as a rookie, as a defensive end, you know, had 10.5 sacks. I think it makes sense for Foley Fadakasi, uh, Arden Key, Dewan Smoot if they return. So I think it would make sense for a lot of guys if they kind of shifted in that direction. All right, uh, here with John Shipley of Jaguar Report. Pete, thank you for the call. Let's go to Steve in Melbourne wants to uh, fast forward to the NFL draft. What's up, Steve? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, John, I got a um, question for you with the draft. I know we're seeing a lot of mocks and everything out there, but where do you see in the direction of pick 24, I mean, do you take a shot at one of these big tight ends like a Michael Mayer or the freak of nature that is Darnell Washington? This is the deepest cornerback class, so you could probably find one in the second round with no problem or an interior offensive line or interior pass rush. I just want to get your thoughts on uh, where you think they should go. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, like you said, different directions they could go in, you know, tight ends. Obviously going to be an emphasis until we see what happens with Evan Ingram. I think a lot of people are thinking left guard's a big need. But when you look at the roster for next year, I mean, Ben Barch and Tyler Shatley are still in the roster. And I think, you know, in the potential scenario where Jawan Taylor does come back, I think Walker Little could maybe even, you know, get a consideration to play inside some. So I'm not sure guard is really a potential option at 24. If they bring Evan Ingram back, I don't really see tight end being it either. Because I agree. I, I, there's not enough footballs, you know, like to go around to justify it. And if you look at Trent Baalke's drafting history, you know, if he's going to take a tight end, it's going to be, you know, a value pick. And I, I think Darnell Washington would be a cool pick, <laughs> probably not a good pick, but I mean, but he'd be a fun guy to yeah, have. Exactly, there probably are twenty guys who'd be fun guys to have. Bingo, pick twenty four. Bingo, like it, it's just, I mean. I, You'd probably end the season, the 24th overall pick, having, what, like 15 catches maybe at most? I mean, it, 
It's not like anyone beyond Evan Ingram did anything as a pass catcher this year no. at the tight end position. So you're right. You you talk about, well, we could have this great two tight end offense. Well, when they had Goddard and Ertz together in Philadelphia, they didn't have Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk, like that level of receiver at the top. You had a declining Alshon Jeffrey. You had, you know, just a bunch of guys, really. And you look at this team now – I think most Jaguar fans would expect you're going to have two 1,000-yard receivers. Whether that's the case or not next year, they think that you know Ridley's going to come in, be a lot better than Marvin Jones was. Uh, you've already established Christian Kirk as a big part of this offense. Let me circle back quickly to Evan Ingram, though. Um, Tony and I, I know how Tony thinks, so I could speak for him in this one instance. Uh, you know, Overwhelmingly likely that they get a long-term deal done, and if they don't, hard to imagine they wouldn't use the franchise tag. I cannot see them letting Evan Ingram walk away for nothing. No, I mean, I could see a similar situation to what they did with Ken Robinson last year where they franchise tagged him and then ended up signing him to a longer contract mm-hmm. shortly before the draft where the franchise tag was more of a mechanism to prevent him from hitting free agency. So I could definitely see that. I I think, you know, like we said, Jawan's a case where they'll make him an offer and let him hear other offers, whereas Evan, they don't want him to hear other offers. You know, they want him to stay. And Evan, you know, just... I think kind of because of his New York experience, he knows what, you know, not being in the right fit kind of means and what going to the wrong fit could mean. And he knows that Jacksonville, you know, is the right fit for him and his career so far. The Jaguars, you know, they know obviously he's the right fit in the offense. I don't think you can just automatically replace his production because, I mean, it's a lot of unknowns at that point. Yeah, I, I look, I can't speak for Evan Ingram, and everybody wants to make as much money as possible, but I, that is a guy that I think could take a little bit less to stay here because of how well he fits. He knows he fits. He's yeah. already had that year. You got a, an ascending quarterback. You got a coach that knows how to utilize your position and get good production out of you. No state income tax. You love the locker room. I mean, all the everything's lined up for him to want to be here. Even if, let's say, and I'm just throwing figures out there, like if it's ten million compared to eleven and a half, somebody where else, there's a lot of good things going for you that can kind of make up some of that gap. Yeah, yeah. I I think. At least I start with a one, and anywhere after that, you can start to have a conversation. I agree with you because, I mean, I, I, it goes even beyond the field, I think. I think you saw it early on in training camp and then throughout the season. Uh, he is a home run signing in terms of getting a guy that fits the culture. You know, I mean, he's a, he's somebody that coaches and players love inside the building because he's one of the hardest workers. I mean, he's one of the last guys to leave the practice field every day. It, the biggest thing in free agency is sometimes you sign guys who aren't good culture fits. I mean, he's the exact opposite. Well, really, I think for the most part, unless they really kept it under wraps, I think they did a good job with that across the board yeah. last year, right? Whether it be free agency or the draft, even guys that, you know, like Devin Lloyd kind of tailed off. I don't think anybody questions Devin Lloyd's football character, his work ethic, no. any of that kind of stuff. Um, how much of that was one of the reasons, like how important was that reason for the Jags' success that they were able to have, holding it together when they were 3-7, and seven, to have that kind of a locker room that didn't fracture, let's say, like some of the past Jaguar locker rooms have? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it. I think it's everything. I mean, you can point, like you said, to past Jaguars roster where – you know, the 2017, 2018 rosters were probably some of the years the Jaguars have spent, you know, the most money and been most aggressive in free agency. And those were two <laughs> very unstable, you know, locker rooms by all reports, two very, you know, toxic ones. Whereas this year, you know, the guys they identified outside of Jacksonville, you know, they were the right kind of people. And that, that was something they even struggled with. I mean, 2021, they signed some free agents who 
simply did not fit, you know, their a winning culture, what they were trying to do moving forward. And it's hard to do in free agency because it's not like college recruiting where, you know, you're going inside the person's living room and, you know, making a sales pitch to them and getting to know them. You know, you're kind of making assumptions based on film and who you know. But, I mean, it was across the board, you know. I felt like like there wasn't a signing this year outside of, you know, maybe a couple little nitpicks where you can be like, okay, that was a bad move, you know, on or off the field. Arden Key was one of those guys that fit in great, right? And and by some accounts, is even – Coming off the bench, a bit of a leader on that side of the football. You had him at a good price. He produced. You know, now the price tag probably goes up a little bit. What is the kind of the priority for you for the Jaguars to make sure that Arden Key is back in teal? Yeah, I I think every football team needs an Arden Key. (laughs) He's, you know, one of those guys who, like you said, coming off the bench, you know, is a leader. You know, is one of those fiery kind of guys like – those plays late in the season where he would come flying, you know, on a one or two yard gain on a run play and just kind of leap on top of the pile where, you know, the guy was already tackled, but he's still planted his hair on fire and trying to get in on a play. That to me, you know, perfectly summed up who Arden Key is. You know, he's another guy who, you know, like Ingram, they love off the field. You know, they're, uh, he's a unique player in terms of his skill set. So I'm not sure every team is a team where he would necessarily fit, but they have the kind of front and kind of coaching where, they found the perfect fit for him. You know, he's the perfect fit for them. So I, I think right after, you know, Ingram and obviously Juwan, I think Arden Key is right up there with the guy, you know, they want to bring back because this pass rush looks a lot different without him. If they wanted to make a deal with Evan Ingram, like uh, Evan Ingram's on board, like can they do that now? Do they have to wait? They can because he's their own guy, right? Yeah. They can, they've got exclusive negotiating with him, and uh, the franchise tag window is going to open up later in February, run into early March. But – if they wanted to, like, they could potentially announce today, we got a five-year deal with Evan Ingram. Yeah, yeah, it's not until March 15th at 4 p.m. is when, well, March 13th is when other teams can start talking to him, but March 15th, 4 p.m. is when he's officially yeah, nobody you know, talks no longer a general. That. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, yeah. yeah. No, nobody talks at the combine. But, but it, like, in terms of priority, you, you know, it wouldn't be if uh, – which would be great if you got something done with Evan Ingram before yeah. the need to put a franchise tag on. Nobody ever wants to use that mechanism if they don't have to. Um, I I fully support teams' rights to use it. You know, it stinks if you're the player and you think you're going to break the bank, but it's also a pretty good price tag, and it puts you right back in position to hit free agency the next year if you play well. So uh, it is what it is. So hopefully they'll get something done with Evan Ingram. You want to get in with John Shipley? You're welcome to do it at 641 641- 1010. We uh, sent out a tweet yesterday uh, just announcing that Ship was going to be on the show, and a lot of folks sending questions there via Twitter. So we'll get to some of those coming up as well. You can hit us up on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures as well at 641 1010. You're listening to Jaguars today on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. All Jags, all NFL. Jaguars today on 1010XL. All right, uh, less than two weeks away from Calvin Ridley being eligible to apply for reinstatement. Most people believe that that is a a near certainty. I don't know if it is or not, but I'll go along with the positivity, Tony, and and hope that uh, that'll be the case. It seems like Doug Peterson thinks he'll be reinstated uh, after his gambling suspension. You haven't heard anything to the contrary from any of the national reporting along those lines. So uh, we got John Shipley here with us from Jaguar Report, the Jaguar branch of Sports Illustrated. John, you uh, 
uh, wrote a little item in one of your mailbag columns last week about how you're hearing that Ridley looks like he's in phenomenal shape right now. I, I will say this as a guy who uh, chased Josh Gordon in fantasy leagues for several <laughs> years after that 1600 yard season he had in year two. Uh, and he was always in incredible shape. <laughs> you look at Josh yeah. Gordon. Um, I, I hope that that's the case, but uh, what, what are your, what are you hearing just on the whole Ridley thing? Are you expecting an easy reinstatement? Where does he fit in? What do you think he has left? Go ahead. Tell us. Yeah, no, I'm expecting him to be reinstated. I think, you know, the NFL has obviously had cases like this in the past where it was pretty cut and dry that once they reach the one year mark, you know, they kind of, you know, let them go, you know, kind of time served, you know, kind of move on with your life from there. I, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, any time in the next couple of weeks or whether it's close to the draft, but the expectation is, you know, for him to be reinstated. I really don't think the Jaguars, you know, would have traded for him if they didn't know in some form or fashion that, you know, he'd be reinstated. If they did, that would be. Well, I mean, you know, all, all you'd give up is a sixth round pick yeah. if you didn't get reinstated. So I think it's worth the gamble because you can't know for sure, right? No matter what they, everyone says, if Calvin Ridley decides to go out there and make a bet tomorrow on the Super Bowl and somehow it becomes public, it's, it's some of it's out of your control. But I I agree with you. I think they probably had a pretty good feeling it was going to head in that direction. Where does he fit in? Like, do you, are you expecting him to come in and be the Calvin Ridley he was in his last full season, which was a 1,300-yard true number one wide receiver, he was also a guy who averaged nine yards a catch for the first five games in 2020 and seemed to have lost his interest in playing football uh, then. So what what exactly uh, are you expecting out of Ridley? Yeah, no, I think it's something where, you know, you're kind of hoping you can flush, you know, his past couple seasons, you know, hope that a uh, change in scenery can kind of cause that change, you know, in him and his production. And I think you can kind of point to a few cases on the Jaguars team last year and even, and Doug Peterson, where Doug himself said the change in scenery, you know, kind of did him good, kind of lit a fire under him where, you know, it's definitely a possibility of happening. Everything I've heard from, you know, people that, you know, work out with him, people that have seen him kind of prepare for his transition to the Jaguars, I mean, say that he looks like, you know, Calvin Ridley always looked, you know, that he's looks like he's in phenomenal shape, like he's ready to go, and that he seems like he's a guy who's really kind of chomping at the bit to get back into it. He's a very... He has a very heavy online presence, so mm -hmm. I think you can kind of tell <laughs> from there that he's kind of getting eager to go. So, I, I which I is good, yeah, exactly. Which I I think you want to see, you know, somebody who's excited about joining a team when you know you're excited about joining a team that you haven't even had a single conversation with yet. You know, that's a good sign, and I see him fitting in there and kind of you know Marvin Jones's kind of role at you know X receiver. You know, he's. Not exactly, you know, that kind of big body downfield threat you would think of when you think of an next receiver, but he's one of the best route runners in the entire NFL. You know, he's going to get open, whether it's short, middle, long. So I think he's going to kind of step into the offense right away and kind of be somebody who can take the top off and, you know, kind of work hand-in-hand -hand with Christian Kirk and Trevor Lawrence. I think we're all, including the team, waiting for that first time that we can really hear from Calvin Ridley, right? Jaguars wide receiver, Calvin Ridley, I think it is a really good sign that a player that wanted to step away from the game for whatever personal reasons those were, that seems to be as excited as he seems to be about joining the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? And it does seem to be Jacksonville that he's excited about joining. Now, there's a lot of reasons to look at it from the outside and say, yeah, 
I would want to be a part of that right now, you know, with Doug Peterson coming here, Trevor Lawrence looking like he took that big step and may take another big one going into next year. But it's good for a guy who stepped away from the game and who knew what that was yeah. going to play out like to at least be expressing the excitement about getting back on the football field who there was no guarantee that he'd ever be that guy again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it'd be concerning if there was like radio silence and you weren't yeah. hearing anything, but like to see it visibly, you know, throughout the season and you could tell he was excited and from people in the Jaguars locker room who know him, they, you know, they obviously communicated he was excited when the trade happened and that trade went down before Trevor kind of took that next step. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can imagine he's probably even more excited now. Oh, I'm sure he is, right? I think at the time he was probably just excited for a change of scenery. Seemed like his time in Atlanta had kind of, for whatever combination of reasons, had come to a yeah. conclusion whether or not he had been, you know, it, it seemed, who knows what would happen people, had he not been suspended. Know, you know? We just don't know, right? He had played those five games and then walked away from the team in 2020 and didn't play the rest of the year. And then he got suspended after that for the whole following next season. So who knows how this season would have gone for Calvin Ridley. Um, elsewhere on the offense, uh, do they try to bring back to Michael Hasty? Like, what is your ideal offseason in terms of shoring up the running back room? Let's put it that way. I think having a veteran presence in the running back room makes sense. Jermichael Hasty, you know, I, I want to say he's a restricted free agent. He's somebody who it makes sense to at least keep tabs on and potentially bring back because, I mean, they showed how comfortable they were with him in the playoff game when he sure. played more snaps than, you know, Travis Etienne. Yeah. Why was it? Was it is it pass protection? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I think it was, you know, they, they had gotten to that point by being a passing team, and obviously the run was working more that day, but they had gotten to that point on Trevor Lawrence's arm. I think that they thought, the way to keep pace with the Chiefs would be to pass the ball, and they just saw Hasty as you know the more reliable, more consistent pass blocker. Well, granted, it was a different coaching staff, and maybe the GM wasn't having the final say on bringing Travis Etienne in uh, when he they drafted him, but they talked about using him almost like a receiver, like a slot receiver, more than a running back, and. Whatever you thought about that plan, it, it feels like there's some untapped potential in the passing game with Travis Etienne. They don't have a problem throwing it to Hasty when he's in there. Why don't they get more balls in Etienne's hands in space, in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think, you know, most of the time that we saw Etienne get the ball like that last year, it was on, you know, design play, you know, a screen or something like that. But it wasn't very often where, you know, you'd see him be utilized, you know, like Austin Eckler, you know, for example. A dump off. Yeah, yeah exactly. I <laughs> – I want to say, you know, it's because Hasty played in more obvious passing situations. He was more likely to kind of get check downs, you know, from Trevor Lawrence. Whereas ETN, I, I'm not sure if the fine, his career at Clemson, you know, really translated to the role that Urban Meyer had envisioned for him, which was, you know, a receiving back. I mean, he's an extremely, you know, electric and explosive running back, but he's never been, you know, that kind of pure down-to-down, pass-catching running back. I mean, we saw it in spurts this season. You know, it's just – it's not, you know, his biggest strength. So, I, I think that in a combination with the offense, other than dump-offs, I just – I don't think passing to the running back is a big priority, you know, for this offense and this coaching staff. I think if you ask them if they'd rather throw it to ETN or Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Zay Jones, you know, they'll go with the, the latter. Yeah, it is surprising when you go back and look over the year – with the way that ETM was talked about when he got drafted, the way the conversation was flowing 
going into this season after not being able to play his rookie year, essentially, that he didn't have a game where he caught more than three. Like, it's just a weird number. And it's not that ETN didn't have a good year because he did. Yeah. Right? Like, he had a really good year for the Jaguars, but it is surprising that that aspect of his game wasn't used more, which makes you think exactly what you just said there. They just didn't have the intention of doing that with Travis Etienne. He was going to be their featured back. They were willing to move on from James Robinson a month and a half into the year. Like, all this pointed to, he's our guy. We're going to hand the ball to him. And it did feel like the second half of the year, he got better at avoiding the, the big direct hit. He still takes direct shots that, like, the great backs, you're like, Make a miss, like create an angle with your body somehow, but it did feel like the second half of the year he got maybe a half step better at doing that kind of stuff, and it did, it felt all the time like he was right on the edge of that big one. Finally got the big one against Houston, but it really felt like for the last month and a half he's right there, maybe a half step away from taking it to the house two or three times in a game at some point here. Yeah, and I think he's somebody who... Like this is just the start of what you're going to see from him because you know, he's he needed that NFL experience, that game speed, you know, especially when it comes to you know running with vision and patience. So I expect him to be you know even better next year. And when you look at his numbers this year, which you know obviously, like you said, he had a great year, really good production. He didn't start a game until week six, and you know he was kind of an afterthought for that first month of the season. So just picturing him as a full season, you know, 17 game starter. I mean, this guy's kind of the limit. Uh, Snoop Connor, a wasted pick. I wouldn't say a wasted pick. I, I you know, kind of. I would so far. <laughs> I mean, so guy, if you want to say have, so far, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you have? Ten touches? If that? Mm-hmm. Did he have that many this year? I don't think so, honestly. Right. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I, I don't is think he? So. Is there a bigger role for him going forward? I think going forward there is, depending on how much they trust in his development as you know a third down back, a guy who kind of step into that hasty pass blocking role. Whether he gets a chance to prove that outside of say, the off-season training program and training camp. Who knows? But uh, you're right. You know, there's not many paths, you know, we're seeing for him to be more than a I'm fringe sorry, he had number 12. two. He had 12. He had 12? I yeah. did. I was uh, way underestimated. How many of those came against Houston? Uh, five. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Five percent. And he only had the two games this year where he had – he had three games where he had more than five snaps. He had two games where he had ten or more offensively like and he's not playing special teams I think that's the big surprise is that there's no special teams unit that Snoop Connor's playing on doesn't bode well for your future in the National Football League if you're a guy getting drafted that late at that position and they can't find a role for you somewhere on special teams it's just not the typical path for a guy at that spot no it's not I mean again that's a guy they traded up for you know I mean they right and we were told, you know, at least short yardage, this guy's going to be a beast, right? And I, I figured, look, Travis Etienne had no problem getting the ball in the end zone in college, okay? But you'd think over the course of the season, some third and ones, fourth and ones, let's see it. Yeah. And it just never materialized. Because no. I, I think that's something that, you know, it's kind of fun to talk about when the season's, you know, six, seven months in a way, away. But when you get to, you know, Sunday – I mean, is a coach ever going to be like, all right, Travis, get out of the game? You know, right. like, like, this guy's better than you. And I mean, I I could understand. Look, sometimes you do if you've got a guy that is just a really good short yardage guy. I mean, some of the best backs in the league get pulled at the goal line uh, from time to time, so they don't take that wear and tear. But even he never even got to the point where I I don't know if they trusted him or they felt he was the best option in those circumstances. Yeah, no, it it, it was a you know kind of 
not even forgettable. It was a wasted, you know, rookie season. Really, after everybody drafted after the Muma selection in that draft class, it was, yeah, that kind of rookie season. Good had Isaiah Pacheco there, by the way, you know, with that <laughs> pick. Just as a, you know, look, hey, we could play that game all the time, but that's the job of the scouting department and the coaching staff. Yeah. You're going to draft a running back in the fifth round who's available among running backs. Yeah. And like you said, you make a trade up to get this guy and he can't get on the field. And with all that being said, this whole running back conversation, John, if the Jags do add another back to that room, which they don't have to, but if they do, because they can, as we've said, they can retain Hasty pretty easily. Connor's not going anywhere. ETN's not going anywhere. So they don't have to. But if they were to address the running back room, what kind of guy do you think they bring in? I think one of those guys who, you know, is kind of a more north-south runner as opposed to the, the speedy guy who you're hoping to get on the edge and somebody who, again, I think one of their stronger points would be pass protection. I don't think, you know, there's obviously not a ton of running backs like that out there. If there are, you know, most of them are being retained by their teams, but. I mean, one guy that comes to mind is, you know, P. Ryan in Cincinnati. You know, mm-hmm. who knows how much he'll cost, but he's a guy who I think stylistically, you know, that brand of back would make sense for them. You know, that kind of guy who's kind of tougher between the tackles than he is getting out to the edge, who you can trust to be in there on third down, whether it's a dump-off option or to protect the quarterback. Because, you know, Travis Etienne, he has a very specific skill set, and they've obviously shown that they can utilize that skill set, but – They've also kind of shown that, you know, there are other areas in their offense to where they still need help in. And a, a lot of it goes, you know, with what do they do with Hasty? Because uh, if they do bring Hasty back, you can kind of imagine him with a sizable role next year, which, you know, if going into week one last year, nobody would have said, you know, Jermichael Hasty will have a, you know, defined role a sure. year from now. But, I mean, there's a plausible scenario where that's a reality. All right, let's take a break here. Uh, halfway home with John Shipley of Jaguar Report. Take advantage. Well, we've got Ship in studio at 641-1010 on the phone line. So the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. I've got a stack of questions sent in uh, yesterday for Ship that we'll get to coming up. And, of course, uh, today's question of the day as well. We give you a list of the top 50 from Pro Football Focus in terms of pending NFL free agents. Tell us which is the player on that list you think the Jags will be able to sign who ranks the highest, if any. Uh, and we're not counting guys like Evan Ingram, Juwan Taylor, who would be returning players to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You want to get on board? You know the ways to do it. You're listening to Jaguars today on 1010XL 92.5 FM. <laughs> Jags, all NFL. Jaguars today on 1010XL. All right, uh, on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosure, we've been going back and forth on this one. Look, nobody's sitting here saying that we expect Trayvon Walker to break out for 15 sacks next year. Okay, but get this question, because I think this came when you were saying the Jags need Trayvon Walker to have that breakout when yeah. you're talking in crosstalk with Dan and Jack, right? Not that you were predicting that he will, but Trevor Lawrence did it. Right? Went from year one to year two. Can you name other first-round first picks that magically blossomed? Walker is exactly who we thought he was. Now, I missed the first picks part, so I just named some first-rounders mm-hmm. who absolutely blossomed in year two. So, is it just if you're the first pick, you're, you can't blossom, and you can? Like, if you're J.J. Watt, you can blossom and add 15 sacks from year one to year two. Clayus Campbell had zero sacks as a rookie. Um, Cameron Jordan, I think, had one. Or I might have got Calais and Jordan backwards. Mm-hmm. I think they had one between them. So there are plenty of first-round pass rushers that blossom in a major way. 
So then they followed up. Were they the number one pick? I said, all right, Trevor Lawrence. He blossomed from year one to year two. Well, Trevor was a superstar in college. Okay. Isn't almost every player who goes number one a superstar in college? Uh, Yeah. I don't know if you consider Trayvon Walker a superstar in college. Obviously a very good player in college, but like – I don't know what you, you want here. You ask a question. Who did it? I keep giving you answers while well, you're struggling to come up with it because you keep changing the parameters of the question. Mario Williams. There's one. Mario Williams went from four and a half sacks to 14 his second year. I'd say that's blossoming Sure. from year one to year two. Was Mario Williams a superstar in college? Uh, shouldn't have gone ahead of Reggie Bush probably in a lot of people's mind. There were plenty of guys. He was. It was not a surefire laydown that Mario Williams was going to be the number one pick. Either way, um, you know, will Trayvon Walker have that? I doubt he'll be a double digit sack guy this year. But Me if too. you know, if the question is name someone who's done it, there are plenty of people who have. Uh, you know, whether you think Trayvon Walker does or not. If you don't that's, think much of great. if you didn't think much of the Walker pick when they made it and you don't think much more of it now, okay. Understand. Fair. Yeah. Right? But your comparison there was a bad one. Yeah, that's right? all. Like, like just I, take the L on that and it, go it, on. It may, Even if you don't believe in Walker, that's fine. I'm not trying to change your opinion on Walker. I'm not sitting Walker. here, you know, don't, don't at me in December and go, "Oh, you said no, I didn't say." I I'm, I hope Trayvon Walker like you said, Tony. Yeah blossoms in a huge way, I have my doubts. I thought he had a a rookie season that was on par with what I expected his rookie season to be. Yeah. Which tells you what I expected him to be. Right? And that that was out of how I felt about the pick when they made it. I was like, okay, three, four sack guy probably his rookie year would be what I think Trayvon Walker's gonna be. And look, John, we were discussing it on the break. I, I really think even going into this year Maybe he's a six seven sack guy, but I don't know that at any point in his career that he's gonna be that twelve to fourteen consistent yeah. sack guy for this franchise. Yeah, I mean there's different kinds of, you know, players and pass rushers. Like Yannick Ngakwe, you know, he was a high volume sack guy, but no doubt. you know, he wouldn't make a big impact in a lot of the areas of defense. Whereas Trayvon, you know, his impact is kind of, you know, what you see for what he does to the overall defense, you know. Uh, his run defense, creating pressures and sacks for the other players, kind of, you know, being one of the straws that stirs the strength for the front seven. I'm with you. I, I'm not sure if he's – I'm not sure if a double-digit sack seasons are on the horizon for him. Like, I'm just not sure he's that guy because I think his game is, you know, wreaking havoc and kind of creating pressure for other people. I'm not sure his game is, you know, that high-volume sack guy. So, if you want to, you know – Decide if a guy was worthy of the number one overall pick based on sacks. You know, he'll probably lose the argument to Hutchinson, you know, nine times out of ten over the next couple of years. But I think with him, you know, you're going to have to look at his overall impact. And like you said, he kind of had the rookie year, I imagine. And it seemed like, you know, when they took him, they even were kind of screaming out, hey, he's, you know, kind of a project. Be patient with him. And now a year later, everybody's like, wait, why do you have a <laughs> Right, well, th- I think it's a fair question. Why should we be taking a project yeah, with the number one overall is. pick when you have your choice of any player in the NFL draft? Now, you might not have had a chance to trade out of there, and you better be right that if you take that guy, he better turn out to be the best player three or four years down the road. Uh, but, you know, after one year, that clearly wasn't it, the case. There's a lot of ground to make, like, to make up. You know, if that's, you know, the parameters of it, I mean, Sauce Gardner, you know, pro- undisputable Absolutely. You know, defensive rookie of the year. It's, a lot of ground to make up. No, oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. Well, there, look, there's a lot of ground to make up for Devin Lloyd 
as well. They spent the I think there's more, honestly. First pick of round two, four, and six to move up a few spots into the first round and take him there. So you gave up three opportunities to get this guy who was great defensive rookie of the month coming out of the gates. Fantastic. Then was benched midway through the season for Chad Muma. Um are they not utilizing him correctly? What where was he struggling the most this year in your opinion, John? And can he rectify that going into next year? I'm not sure that it was that they weren't utilizing him correctly. I know a lot of people were calling for him to be used more as a pass rusher off the edge because that's a lot of what he did at Utah. I think if you look at him and his frame, you know, he's more of a sideline to sideline, you know, speed kind of guy. You know, he, he doesn't have a lot of power. You you don't want him to be on the edge, you know, every single given down. I think his value as a pass rusher is actually as a blitzer, you know, hitting, you know, defined gaps as opposed to being an every down edge rusher. So I do think they use him fine. I think it was just a fact of, you know, going from playing, you know, a little bit of off ball linebacker, a little bit of edge rusher in the Pac twelve to playing, you know, weak side linebacker against NFL offenses with guys like, you know, Andy Reid, you know, scheming specifically to attack you. You know, it's it's difficult. I I, I think linebackers up there with, you know, quarterback and cornerback as the hardest positions to transition from college to the NFL from just because there's so much more being thrown at you. It's such a different level and pace of game, and I think he was kind of the victim of that. Who will have a better year in 2023, Walker or Lloyd? Trayvon Walker. You do? I think, think so. so. Yeah, I, I feel confident about that one, too. I, I think Trayvon, as long as they don't ask him to kind of masquerade another year as a stand-up edge rusher, and as long as they let him do what he does well, which is put his hand in the dirt, I think that he'll have a year that, you know, again, maybe not big on production in terms of sacks and high-volume sack, but I think when you look at his overall impact, I think he's primed for a big year, whereas Devin Lloyd, you know, I still I still need to you know kind of see if he's the better option over Chad Muma. Uh, do you think we'll see any defensive coaching staff changes this offseason? I don't think they're going to enter it with the idea to change anything up on the defense. I, I don't think, you know, I know people have asked about Mike Caldwell. I think Mike Caldwell is, you know, firmly – entrenched I think if there's any scenario where Mike Caldwell wouldn't have been the defense coordinator it would have been if they missed the postseason and, you know could start interviewing guys right away but that wasn't the case you know they just you know finished playing if they wanted to look for new coaches well it was big defensive plays that propelled them exactly to the postseason but you can't always count on big defensive plays either right like the down in down out they weren't always great but the second half of the season they were very opportunistic like they were very early in the year I don't know if that's a formula you can count on if you can't generate consistent pass rush, though. I, I My biggest, you know, kind of defensive Mike called was when you look across the board at the numbers just compared to, you know, 2021, I mean, the defense, you know, improved big time in several areas, even if they still weren't that, you know, kind of consistent week in and week out unit. Obviously, you would hope so with that many investments paid into it. But I, I think, you know, get the right kind of development out of guys like Trayvon Walker, Chad Muma, Devin Lloyd. And I, I think, you know, obviously a lot of times turnovers are kind of, you know, hit or miss. They can happen a lot one year, not so much next year. But if they can kind of change their luck in terms of pressures, I, I want to say they were like third or fourth in the league in terms of pressures generated. But in sacks, they're, you know, one of the bottom five. So right. just kind of change your luck there, and I think things change their defense. Uh, the coaches who are drawing interest, obviously Chris Jackson, the wide receivers coach, left to take the same job at Texas. And Jim Bob Cooter, I believe, has had an interview with Miami and now will have one with Carolina for their offensive coordinator 
position, how big of a loss uh, would either or both be for this offensive staff? Yeah, I, I did not expect uh, Jim Bob Cooter <laughs> to be the Jaguars assistant coach, you know, drawing uh, interview requests after last season. I, I really thought some teams were going to, you know, try to potentially you know, seek out maybe Press Taylor, maybe, you know, Phil Rauscher as a run Press game. Taylor as like a play call. Would that, would you be allowed to, I mean, you still would need permission, I think, right, to interview? Yeah. Uh, him, but if it were a situation where you're offering him maybe play calling duties, that might be seen as an upgrade. Yeah, like the Jaguars, I'm pretty positive could still block it, but I don't think just Doug Peterson. I don't think if Presley had a chance to call plays that he would say like, "No, you're right, you're not allowed to." But I, I, I think you know overall, you know, Jim Bob Cooter, he he did a good job in his role last year, which was kind of serve as you know an extra set of eyes for the passing offense for kind of every position group, whether that be wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, and just having another experienced guy, another coordinator, I think, in the room. He's is, obviously well thought of yeah. if he's getting multiple opportunities here to at least interview. You know, he's still a young guy. He's done it before. Uh, I just like the little cocoon they put around Trevor with all the exactly. former quarterbacks, and I'd prefer not to break it up if possible. I will say, I'm surprised that he got the request from Carolina and not Mike McCoy. I thought Mike McCoy was going to – Draw one, just his past with you know Frank Reich, Reich mm -hmm. being his one-time offensive coordinator. I, you know, when I expected a Jaguars coach to kind of get a request from Carolina, when I saw his Jim Bob Cooter, I was like, okay, I didn't, didn't see that one coming. I wonder if that's kind of weird though, if you've been like the OC for a guy, yeah. you know, and then you want to flip yeah, it around, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if that plays into it a little bit. All right, let's do this. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. And we'll go rapid fire. Got a bunch of questions here for John Shipley of Jaguar Report, our in-studio guest today here on Jaguars Today. If you want to get in with Ship, still time at 641-1010. I'll fire off a bunch of these uh, social media questions uh, to John as we come back. And also, we'll take a look at the question of the day a little bit later on, presented by Chad and Sandy Real Estate. Who's the highest-ranked player on the pro football-focused free agent list that you think the Jags will be able to sign this year if they're able to sign any away from another team. Mike Dempsey, Tony Smith, E.T., and John Shipley here with you. This is Jaguars Today on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Everything you need to know about the Jags. Jaguars Today on 1010XL. All right, we've got John Shipley of Jaguar Report here with us. Uh, by the way, Demetrius Harvey of Florida Times Union will be in that chair a week from today. Tom McManus in with us tomorrow on the one-year anniversary of the Jaguars hiring Doug Peterson to be their head coach, one of the best moves the Jags have probably made in franchise history. Uh, we've got questions here on social media for John Shipley. Uh, Shipley probably covered a few of these, but we can go rapid fire through some of them anyway um, and see what you think. Uh, kind of talked about this a little bit. Uh, should the Jags target a bruiser-style running back in free agency or the draft, or do you think they stick with the combo they, they have? I think they're going to look to add to the running back room, and I think they want to find somebody who's probably a little different stylistically than Travis Etienne. So, yeah, I, I do think they kind of look for, you know, that kind of bigger north-south back, whether that makes Snoop Connor. Like a James Robinson type, maybe? You know, that's Something uh, like that? Yeah. <laughs> that's Well, that's been brought – I mean – could you imagine that offense with James Robinson and Travis Etienne? <sighs> yes, I could, as a matter of fact, because I saw it um, for a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously the Jets didn't get any use out of James Robinson either, so they, they didn't see anything that made them you know, bench their crew of cast-offs and journeymen this year when Brees Hall was not 
healthy. If the Jags were making a bet on James Robinson's, you know, like long term like health and durability, it they probably won it just based on what happened with New York. It didn't seem like New York thought James was, you know, healthy enough. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird though. He played so well at the beginning of the year, right? He showed more breakaway speed then than he had yeah. in the previous two years. So anyway, um, all right. Um could will the Jags get anything from Joaquin? I'm just I'm kind of paraphrasing his question. Will the Jags get anything out of their late round trio of Snoop Connor, Greg Jr., or Monteric Buster Brown? I wouldn't bet on it. Okay. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I I, I if it happens, you know, great, which you can kind of say about most, you know, late day three picks like they were. But, I mean, I think, you know, they, they obviously have their two starters at cornerback. You know, they're going to be looking for an upgrade at nickel. So, unless injuries happen, you know, I don't really see a path for either Junior or Brown, you know, to the field anytime soon. Where, where does corner rank for you among all offseason priorities? I think it's got to be number one because I think even with, you know, you're entering the year, obviously, with Tyson and Darius. You know you have two guys on the outside, but – one, you have to figure out who your nickel corner is because Trey Herndon's a free agent. And I know, you know, he draws the angst of, you know, the fan base at times, you know, against the Dallas Cowboys. I know C.D. Lamb, you know, did a number on him, as you would expect. But Trey Herndon was their best nickel, you know, last year and probably even last year, you know, back to 2021 by considerable margin. I mean, he was better in a slot than Darius Williams was. So if you don't bring him back, then you need to find two nickels because you need a starter and a backup. And then that's not even going into the fact that Darius will be, you know, 31, 32 in a year. And I think not next season, but the year after that, they save $11 million by, you know, releasing right. him in the last year of his so, contract. So, corner even uh, corner's in play with the 24th pick. I, I think corner's the most likely pick right okay. now. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, this one, uh, we talked about the, the coaches' exodus. There's only been a couple so far that have had interest or are leaving. Any insight? Have you heard anything on the – Search for a new wide receivers coach yet? I, I, it's something that it seems like the timeline is obviously you know within the next couple of weeks. Is it go to the Senior Bowl and talk to? Is that you know like get everybody gets together like hey I need a job hey you need a what uh, let's let's hook it up. That's where a lot of those conversations happen. I right. mean, even I think Doug Peterson you know last year it was reported that his head coaching interview with the Saints was in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. So you know that's kind of an example. I mean Doug wasn't even with the team and he was still. At the Senior Bowl, you know, hobnobbing. So, I think that's something, you know, you go to the Senior Bowl, kind of weigh your options, come back, you know, maybe for a week or two or three, and then with that. So, probably about a combine. Think about this. Um, as Jag fans were wringing their hands last year for how long the coaching search process was taking, uh, tomorrow's the one-year anniversary mm -hmm. of signing Doug Peterson. Colts still don't have a coach, and there's a pretty good chance they're going to end up with a guy who went 1-7 yeah. straight out of the TV yeah. booth. Yeah, they're saying that they're going to do another round of interviews with all the guys that they like. This is where they're at in their process again. Like, they're sitting down for 12-hour interviews with these guys already, and they need another round to figure out if you are comfortable with the guy being the coach. Oh, that's where they're at. Spending 12 hours with Jim Irsay in an interview sounds like it. <laughs> it might be entertaining. It, might, it could be interesting, <laughs> depending on what he's offering up in the way of refreshments. Um, all right, everyone enjoying my low-res uh, pictures that I upload. You're welcome. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. They're high-res when I see them, and then they get in my Twitter feed, and they, they go crazy. Uh, the Eagles can't resign all three of their defensive line free agents. Any chance to jag snag one? That's uh, what? Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave. Brandon Graham, uh, do you think the Jags would be in play for 
anybody uh, of that ilk, even if it's not those specific players. I mean, I, honestly, I think a veteran pass rusher makes a lot of sense. You know, have somebody for Trayvon Walker, you know, to kind of learn from, you know, other than another. Like, like would you, or when you're talking about veteran pass rusher, like Justin Houston was basically a rotational guy, like a third yeah. down guy. Is that what we're looking for? A guy who's proven that when it is third down, he yeah. can get to the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. You know, somebody who's kind of more of a sub package rotational guy. Nobody to start, but somebody just kind of fell to death because, I mean, we saw it last year when Trey, Trayvon got hurt. You know, their their pass rushing death just is not there, and that's before you thinking about guys like Smoot and Arden Key going into free agency. I mean, they they were snaps away from Caleb on Chase on starting last year. Mm, mm, mm. What about Smoot? Um, what do you hear? I, I I think that they want Smoot back, and I think if we're Smoot. Returning to Jacksonville makes the most sense. Like a short-term kind of deal to rehabilitate your health? And I think so. I, th- I think another, you know, one-year deal, you know, have him, you know, still rehab in Jacksonville. And then, you know, it, both sides know the other side. So, you know, it makes sense, I think, for both sides. And you can probably get him now. Well, not probably. You can get him now cheaper than right. where you would have. Maybe you know, have like a per-game roster bonus, something like yeah. that. Because if that protects you if he's not healthy early in the year. I mean, he got hurt the same week James Robinson got hurt you know, a year previously. So right. him coming back, you know, like week one would seem early because it seemed early for right. James Robinson. Uh, let's see. Uh, any chances from Daniel, any chance the team can maintain momentum going into next year, looking at the cap, they're going to have to replace so many people. It's just going to feel like another team full of freshmen instead of retaining the collective bond they forged last year. How accurate is that statement? I mean, that's the NFL every year, though. You know, isn't I mean, there aren't many teams outside of a couple guys they mm-hmm. really, you know, keep together. And those are obviously your core building blocks. And I don't think any of those guys are going away for the Jaguars anytime soon. You know, Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk, Tyson Campbell, you know, they aren't going away anytime soon. So, I, I, I think, you know, the Jaguars can continue that momentum, but they have to do two things well. That's, you know, develop the players they've drafted and then, you know, continue to draft well. So, we're going to see, you know, just – how good the front office is and the coaching staff are doing those two things. All right. Uh, before we get back to our questions here for John Shipley of Jaguar Report, let's let Tony Smith take you around the National Football League. Now, gems around the NFL. Brought to you by Beaches Jewelry and Pawn in Jack's Beach. San Francisco head coach Kyle Shanahan was asked about his quarterback situation yesterday, entering the offseason with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy under contract, but returning from injuries. And Jimmy Garoppolo also recovering from an injury, but set to hit free agency. Shanahan sounded confident that Lance would be ready for the team's offseason program, a sentiment Lance shared when speaking to media a couple days ago but said that he didn't see any scenario where Jimmy Garoppolo would return for the 49ers next season. Dallas owner Jerry Jones, while speaking to media at the Senior Bowl on Wednesday, said that they would like to have running back Zeke Elliott return for 2023, but it would have to make fiscal sense for both sides. Zeke is set to make $10.9 million in base salary next year with a $16.72 million cap hit. Jones also said that head coach Mike McCarthy will be taking over play-calling duties next season for Dallas. The Carolina Panthers have requested permission to interview Jaguars passing game coordinator Jim Bob Cooter for their vacant OC position. Miami quarterback Tua Tungavailoa has been cleared from the league's concussion protocol finally. Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes was listed as a full practice participant on Wednesday. Chiefs wide receivers McCole Hardman with a pelvis injury, Juju Smith-Schuster with a knee injury, and Darius Toney with ankle and hamstring injuries, as well as cornerback Legarius Sneed, who is in the league's concussion protocol, all did not practice on Wednesday. 
Philadelphia held five players out of practice Wednesday, but did list all five with a rest designation on their injury report. NFL Hall of Fame executive Bobby Bethard died at his home in Franklin, Tennessee due to complications from Alzheimer's at the age of 86 on Wednesday. Bethard was a personnel executive for over three decades in the National Football League and was in that position for four Super Bowl winners over that time, including the undefeated 1972 Miami Dolphins, also the grandfather of Jaguars quarterback C.J. Beathard. Yeah, condolences to C.J. Beathard and the Beathard family there. Um, C.J. Beathard, another guy who's a, a free agent coming up, uh, is, you know, sometimes you get that quarterback who's a backup that, like, you never want him to play anyway, right? Yeah. But that that some teams just have that guy that knows their offense, knows their system, good fit in the, in the room. How do you think they view C.J. Beathard? Is that, you know – would they like to have him back at a reasonable price, or are they looking elsewhere? I I think they like C.J. Beathard. You know, obviously he's been good for Trevor Lawrence the last couple of years. But the thing I keep coming back to is Doug Peterson. You know, obviously when adding a quarterback, you know, and on the Doug Peterson team, Doug Peterson is going to be you know the biggest voice for it. Doug Peterson and his staff aren't the ones who signed C.J. Beathard. You know, right. that was a previous regime. So I mean, I honestly think that they're going to potentially look elsewhere. You Nick know, Foles. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, somebody with experience, you know, in Peterson's system because, you know, Beathard are just, even in, you know, the preseason and the limited time he got in the regular season, it didn't seem like he fit this offense as well as he fit, you know, last year when he was, you know, kind of lighting defenses up as the backup quarterback. All right. So you would expect a new backup. I do then, think so. Uh, this year. Uh, by the way, the Tua getting clear, that's good news for Tua. Shame for him. It couldn't have happened a few days earlier. So he, didn't have to pull out of like the dodgeball competition oh, at yeah. the Pro Bowl. I what mean, do we got coming up? Oh man, we I, got three, four days of this excitement. <laughs> I need to know. No, seriously, this is this is the best thing that they they have going on in this. Uh, it's called the Lightning Round. It's going to take place today. Uh, the Lightning Round features players competing in a three part elimination challenge. The first event is a splash catch. Now, to me, I would think, oh, they're going to be like you know. We always see videos of kids poolside mm -hmm. diving out, catching a Nerf ball yeah. as they go splash catch in Off the pool. Off like a 20 foot diving board or something. Do, crazy. do a somersault yeah. into the pool, right? It's, it's a splash catch. No, this will be a trick shot. Uh, uh, instead, uh, it will be a water balloon toss. Oh. <laughs> which perfectly lines up with the NFL skills that you need. I mean, I do get it. You know, uh, Evan Ingram likes to catch tennis balls to mm -hmm. prepare himself, so maybe this is a big next step. Is there any interest step. in watching NFL players toss balloons to one another? I mean, another? it must be. This is only the opening round, though, Tony. It gets okay. much better. Uh, the high-stakes portion, this is called. Do they uh, have to throw them overhand? Or are uh, to doesn't say. It? Just okay. says toss. Um, the high stakes portion includes uh, players attempting to catch punts from a jugs machine, which could be fun if you've yeah. got linemen doing it, you yeah. know. Uh, and then the last challenge, thrill of the spill. Hey, it's going to be called. <laughs> I'm sure that'll catch on, right? Uh -huh. uh, big time. Oh, you guys thrill gonna watch the thrill of the spill this week? <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna get memed everywhere. The remaining players after the two elimination rounds will take aim at targets attached to buckets hanging over the head of an opposing coach. First team to dump a bucket on a coach wins. Does opposing coach mean like the AFC's throwing at Eli and the NFC's throwing at Peyton? I think so. Could be. Okay. Yeah. I, so I it's don't, just another excuse to get Peyton and Eli on yeah. TV. Nobody, right. Nobody's throwing a Belichick. Other, yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> it'd be great, right, if you had a coach that you just didn't like. Oh, that one's a little low, coach. Sorry, right in the schnoz. 
didn't hit the bucket, but uh, I guess I'll have to go to the end of the line. Yeah, got to bring Urban Meyer back for the Pro Bowl. I mean, we're doing a balloon toss at the <laughs> at the world, <laughs> man. The we're Pro doing Bowl. a water balloon toss uh. for the Pro Bowl skills competition, and that's legit. That's what they want to do. All right. Ship, uh, uh, how do the Jaguars fix the lack of covering the tight end issue they've had for years? This is from Sick Wit It 98. He's sick with it. So, what do you say to that? How do you fix the covering the tight end? You just hope Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma get better. I, I think it's as simple as that. I don't think it's anything schematically. It's just if you want to cover tight ends, you need your linebackers to play well. Last year, you know, the Jaguars didn't have their linebacker op- opposite of Fourier play well. And even Fourier, you know, he's not he, he's not a big, you know, pass coverage guy. I thought he was solid on, you know, kind of the shorter routes where he could come downhill, you know, kind of in the flats. But – when stuff gets behind him, you don't really want him covering much. So just hoping Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma get better, I think is the only answer. All right, let's come back. Uh, we got more questions here with John Shipley. One more segment to go. You can still take advantage at 641-1010 or keep them coming in on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures or on Twitter, and uh, we'll pass those along. We'll also take a look at the question of the day today, looking at the pro football focus top 50 free agent list, uh, which player do you think the Jags are most likely to sign? Who's the highest ranked on that list, if any, for that matter? Uh, we'll do that when we come back as well. This is Jaguars Today on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now more Jaguars Today on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, thanks to uh, John Shipley. He's not done yet, but we appreciate you, John, coming in today. Of course, from Jaguar Report, give uh, Ship a follow on Twitter. If you're listening to this show, chances are you already do follow John on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley, spelled exactly like you would expect it to be spelled. Uh, before we go any further, guys, uh, E.T., why don't we uh, get a little 10-10 take in here and take a look at today's question of the day. 10-10-10. take. Now, Mike Dempsey's 10-10 take. Brought to you by Northern Tool. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. We're made for this. All right, we asked you today, uh, we gave you the list of players, uh, the top 50 for pro football focus in terms of free agents. Uh, who is the highest ranked player on that list that you think the Jags will be able to sign this year, if any? And this is players who didn't play for the Jags, so obviously uh, Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, uh, who are both in the top 50, mm-hmm. are not eligible for this answer. Tony, uh, who's your answer? Uh, the top guy on the list that I think they'd have a shot at is Zach Allen. That's probably the top guy, I thought, number yeah. 23, 23, right? 23 on the list. And yeah. I'm not even looking at the list. That's how much I agree with you because yeah. I, I saw he was 23. Tell me why. Uh, I think that he gives you some flexibility as a guy that can play inside and outside along your defensive line, kind of similar to an Arden Key. I don't think he has the – same traits that Key has. You know, I, I don't think he's that kind of player necessarily, but I think he does give you some versatility. And I think the biggest need on this football team, I've been saying it for weeks now, is interior pass rush. I think that is the biggest need. I don't know where it's going to come from out it, inside the building at this point. There's just nobody that gives them any of that. I think Zach Allen is a player that over the course of the last two years has come on a little bit and gotten better each year rushing from that interior spot. How much will he be affected by not having J.J. Watt to his right? Uh, with the, How much does that help him? I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'd be willing to at least take a look and find out. But, Tony, you realize J.J. Watt went from five and a half to 20 and a half sacks. I do. Much like 
Trayvon Walker is going to go from 13 and a half to about 18 and a half oh, sacks this year. That'd be sweet. If he follows the J.J. Watt method. <laughs> I actually would have answered this. I would have cheated. That's fine because uh-huh. I asked the question. Yeah. Um, I, and I would have gone with 37, 38, 39 because to me they're very similar, yeah. right? It's Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Brandon Graham. It's it's like you were talking about, Ship, veteran pass rusher. I think Zach Allen's the first guy that I think there's a chance, yeah. but I think I, I'm casting a little bit of a wider net and it is cheating to answer it this way, but – I think I don't know who they'd prefer out of that group, but I think they will mm-hmm. sign a veteran pass rusher. Even if they bring back Arden Key, Ship, I think it would behoove them to bring in a guy like that. Now, I don't know what Brandon Graham's going to get on the open market. You know, he had his best pass rush here in his career, but he's 34 years old, and he did it on a line that had three other double-digit sack guys drawing a lot of attention. So, I mean, good player, and maybe, you know, he's a guy who's like, I played my whole career with Philly – uh, I'm either going to play here. Maybe he retires if they win the Super Bowl. But what do you think about Allen and, or, and if not Allen, one of that uh, kind of trio of edge rush level defenders? No, I mean, those are exactly you know kind of guys I would think of. You know, guys, like you mentioned, could provide a situational pass rush, whether that's be on the edge or on the interior. I agree with you completely. I'm telling you that when you look up and down, you know, the roster where their needs interior pass rush has to be right up because we saw it consistently, you know, even throughout the playoffs where, you know, there'd be plays against the Chiefs where, you know, say Arden Key was just completely dusting Orlando Brown and then Patrick Mahomes was able you know, to step up. You know, they're just – they don't have that truly disruptive pass rusher on the inside. They have a lot of good run stoppers. Roy Robertson-Harris had a nice little run there at the end, but they don't have that guy yet. Is he but. gone, Roy Robertson-Harris? I mean – He's one of the guys you could save the most amount of cap space on. I think he's restructured. You do? Yeah. Okay. I, I think they try to bring him back after the way he played. At the he did play well down the stretch from uh, Eric uh, at Eric B. Great. Go Jags on Twitter. I think a penetrating interior defensive lineman is the biggest need. Am I stupid? I think you just answered it. No, you're not stupid. <laughs> you you may think corner is the biggest need, but not crazy to think that, uh, no. you know, who's not looking for interior penetrating offensive linemen, Oh, though, for right? sure, yeah, which exactly. is why it's it's not easy to find, right? Like, it's not easy to find guys that are big enough and athletic enough to play offensive or defensive line in the National Football League. There just aren't bodies, enough bodies on earth that can do what those guys are going to be asked to do on a consistent basis. So it is among the more difficult to find, which is why you're going to pay bigger bucks to get them, you know, ultimately in free agency, too. And... We're just starting our draft kind of breakdown stuff this week, John. But it's it does seem to me this is a really deep draft class at corner. It's a really deep draft class at tight end. It's never a deep draft class on interior defensive line, no. right? Like it just doesn't happen very often that that's where the strength of a class is going to be. So if you're going to significantly help that, if that's something that you consider a major need for your team, Odds are you're going to have to spend some money in free agency if you're going to address that need. I mean, the Jaguars have kind of proved in the last couple of years. I mean, they paid Robinson Harris, they paid Fadakasi. You know, they ended up giving contracts to Smoot and Key, who rush inside. Like, you know, unless you're drafting Jalen Carter, maybe a handful of other guys this year, you're just not getting that guy in the draft. Let me ask you this because I brought this up, and most people think I'm nuts for bringing this up. Okay, but you don't think they'll be able to afford uh, Juwan Taylor? Right, he's going to be probably priced out of their range. Probably, right? They, right, and probably, right. So they spent a ton of money on Cam Robinson, who shown he could play left tackle in the league. If you traded Cam Robinson 
and designated him as a post-June 1st trade, it's only a $5 million dead cap hit. You save a bunch of money against your cap. Walker Little, you are the starting left tackle. You showed you could handle it down the stretch. Jawan Taylor, here's basically the money we were paying Cam Robinson. You're younger, you're healthier. Why is that completely off the table? I don't think it's something that, you know, would be ruled completely off the table. It's just my question is, you know, you, you need a partner for any kind of trade like that. And the exact reasons you're wanting to trade, you know, potentially Cam Robinson, you're, you know, expensive, older, not as good as the, you know. Well, older relative. I mean, yeah. he's still in his 20s. That's fair. And, you know, the, the difference is most teams don't have a Walker Little that they go, oh, well, we got this cheap alternative, it's the worst, right? Like, teams don't have three starting tackles. Like, and and I'm not saying you'd get a second-round pick. I'm saying you you would take basically anything in compensation because they're giving you the salary cap relief, and then you're able to transfer that money to a guy who's been super durable, and, you know, I don't think he, he's going to cost more than Cam Robinson. No. When you say it out loud, you kind of wonder, you know, why they even went ahead with – instead of just letting him play out, you know, on the tag. Right. I, I think, you know, it, it happened quickly, but I mean, he kind of quickly turned into, you know, the third most appealing tackle option you know, on the roster. Didn't it, though, I mean, wasn't that a bit of an indictment on what they their confidence level in Walker Little was at that point? To an extent, because, again, Walker was somebody, he, he started, what, three games last year? And, and even, I think, Jawan Taylor, nobody was saying last year to sign Jawan Taylor to a long-term extension. Right. You know, it, it wasn't well, until this year. everyone was saying, wait till the end of this year, we can dump Rayshon Jenkins, <laughs> we can dump Roy Robertson-Harris. There are a bunch of guys, you know, and conditions change. Well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, there's a few um, of the responses to the Chad and Sandy real estate question today. We asked you who's the highest-ranked player on the PFF list you think the Jags could sign. Jorge said, I only see Deron Payne or Hargraves cool. because it isn't a deep – class of interior pass rushers, I think it's not probable because of the cap. So he's saying, yeah. you know, that those would be the guys, but probably still not likely. And then he shouted out uh, a little Duval from Mexico. Uh, right back at you, Jorge. Uh, Sheldon Rankins uh, getting a mention here. Another Duran Payne. I just don't think they're in right. that. I was about to say, if I had to pick one of those players off the list that I would most want, it might be Payne. R- Rankins was, when I looked at the list, was one of the names that popped yeah. off to me. I think – no, a veteran interior guy who probably won't. Wasn't it? Was it Rankins who they they brought in for? Who was the guy they brought in for a visit last year? The uh, defensive lineman that ended up going somewhere else. Um, it was late in the off season. You know who I'm talking about? It, it was late. What was it? Not Sheldon Rankins. Maybe it wasn't Sheldon Rankins. Seemed like a guy that. Yeah. That you remember who I'm talking I do. about? I don't remember the name. Let's see if I can get right. it up. Jonathan Hankins. Maybe I'm thinking Rankins Hankins. I might. I don't know. Anyway, um, let's see. Uh, personally, I think it's weird that Juwan and Ingram aren't ranked higher than this guy and their priority. Uh, but say Amalu from the Eagles at left guard. I, you you mentioned it earlier. Their starter, the guy who won the starting job, is young. He's under contract, and he got hurt, and there's no reason to think Ben Barch won't be back. And I just, you know, I thought the offensive line was, when you combine it with how fast Trevor gets rid of the football, that I don't think you have to have the Dallas Cowboys offensive line circa 10 years ago with this guy. They just had a top 10 offense with Tyler Shatley starting most of the year left. Right. So I I think they can get by with knowing that there's probably going to be like one offensive lineman on the starting line who probably isn't, you know, a world beater. A lot, of, a lot of talk that Fortner needs to get stronger uh, this offseason. Do you expect me, you know, solid pick for the third round, able to handle? It wasn't 
you know, a guy that every week you went in, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is Fortner going to get trucked this week? You know, I'm sure he did on occasion, but uh, how do you feel about his future here? I, I thought he got better as the year went along. I know a lot of people obviously remember his performance against the Chiefs because of the stage that it was on and the fact that it was the last game. But I thought as the year went on, he got a lot better. And that, that was his biggest thing coming out of Kentucky is, you know, he he's just not a big, imposing guy, and he looks like a center who, you know, those kind of – big, you know, massive defensive tackles sure. give trouble now, now and then. Maybe that never changes, but I think overall the fact that he got through his rookie season, you know, playing every snap, you know, able to handle, you know, the communications and protections up front, I think it was a successful rookie season for him, just considering the fact that he ended it on a higher note than, you know, he started it. Well, Ship, we appreciate you coming in today, and hopefully we can do it a few more times in the offseason, maybe around uh, free agency time. Oh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll do it for sure. So uh, what, what's it look like for you for the next month and a half? Uh, what, what are your uh, focuses going to be on when it comes to Jaguars coverage? Yeah, no, you know, obviously the first thing comes first is free agency. You know, looking at some of the different routes the Jaguars can take, some of the different questions that they have to ask themselves. And one of my favorite articles I do every year is free agents who have connections to the Jaguars coaching staff because the biggest thing in free agency is finding players who you know anything about. So, you know, looking throughout this year's free agency group, which players might make sense for them. And then, you know, once the combine hits, then it's draft time. All right. Well, uh, Ship, hang on a second. We'll say goodbye to you officially here in a moment. But first, let's welcome in XL Primetime. Now, the two-minute drill, brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers, equal opportunity employer. I don't know what you got coming up, Matt Hayes, but it's not John Shipley. I was going to say, Kim. That's a tough act to follow right there, my man. We all love Ship around these parts. What do you have coming up today on XL Primetime? So we got Eric Eric at home, who is live in the Senior Bowl. Eric is is one of the many NFL draft experts there at NFL.com. He's going to break down what's going on there. Senior Bowl with us. And our coach, of course, Dave Campo, will get deep into free agency and the draft. Love it. It's that time of year. And uh, fortunately, we haven't been doing it for three months, so we're not burned out on it yet. <laughs> it's a good feeling, right? It, it really this is. is rare you know, right it's, now. it's February already, and uh, you know we're still fresh, and we only have like a month to go before it gets serious. And we start getting some uh, indications through – Back channel tampering of exactly <laughs> what's going to happen in free agency. Right, so. and you know what? You don't really care at this point. Ah, they had somebody nice, great. They add somebody nice. Right. We can. You know what? We can all debate it for the next yeah. four weeks or so, and yeah. then uh, then we'll get angry when I they don't sign the guys we want. I guess it's not critical. Is what I mean. It's not really critical. Uh, not as much as as it's much been. as it was in the past. Yes, right. correct about that. All right, have a great show, Matt. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Chip. Uh, great work by you, and uh, look forward to seeing more of you. Best to you and uh, the bride and. Uh, Everything going well with the family? Oh, yeah. No, everything's going great. No, no. Wedding playing mode. <laughs> yeah. Man, what, what's Off the date? Uh, Do we have a date? Yeah, February 24th, 2024. So 2024. next year. Yeah. Okay. All after, right. after the Super Bowl. Since, you know, I'm, I'm February 14th. We'll, we'll be busy that week. You got yeah. to be smart about it, man. Yeah. February, right? It's after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like me, I just doubled up with Valentine's Day. I'm like, bam, <laughs> gotcha, baby. Never going to forget one or the other. Uh, which reminds me of my anniversary in 12 The uh, defensive tackle, by the way, was Danny Shelton. And Danny Shelton. Right. signing yes. with yes. Kansas City. Doesn't that feel like Shelton Rankin's Danny yeah, Shelton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's the, the shell deal. part of the name. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. they did feel very similar. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, thanks. Big thanks to John Shipley, uh, one of 
uh, Jaguar fandom's favorite reporters, to be sure, for joining us in studio today. For Tony Smith, for E.T., for Ship, I am Mike Dempsey. We'll be back again tomorrow with Tommy Mack on uh, a Friday edition of Jaguars Today. Keep it right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Yo, Jacksonville. Start taking care of y'all mantles, y'all bodies, and y'all chicken.